0: Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Kerry Shumway, and I'll be your host. Today I'm joined by Harry Schumacher, the editor and publisher of Beer Business Daily, Craft Business Daily, and Wine and Spirits Daily. These are read on every continent except Antarctica. Very impressive. Harry's worked in the beer business for over 30 years in a variety of positions and has published Beer Business Daily for over 20 years. In addition to these, he's the producer of the Beer Industry Summit and the Wine and Spirits Summit. He's often quoted as a beer industry expert in national publications such as Forbes, with the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and now the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. So, for now, please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Harry Schumacher. Harry, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, Carrie. Thanks. It is great to have you here. So I've been a long time reader and fan of your publications, Beer Business Daily, Craft Business Daily. So for anyone who may not be familiar with these publications, could you give our listeners just some background on what the publications are, the audiences they serve, and the type of content that you deliver?
1: Yeah, they're all three trade publications. And, uh, people still unbelievably ask me how often they come out even though every publication is called daily so um anyway uh,
0: confusing title
1: yeah confusing titles uh but uh, uh you know beer business daily covers everything beer that's our flagship publication and our by far our most well read uh comes out every morning at 4:30 a.m. eastern and boy if it's late i hear about it from uh the older, especially older distributors, you know, that that set their alarm to it. So um and then Craft Business Daily comes out about midday and that focuses on uh, craft beer only. And we started that just uh gosh, I can't five or six years ago, just because there was just so much information with all these crappers coming online that it it wasn't enough to put it. Beer business daily was getting too long. And uh, you know, a lot, most of our readers have pretty short attention spans, so you start getting over two pages and, and start to lose people. So, we separated out the craft, and then and then we have wine and spirits daily, which focuses on the wine and spirits industry, and and that's more sp- more focused on suppliers than than distributors, just because there aren't that many distributors on that side, and there's a lot of suppliers. Uh, so, wine and spirits daily is a little bit different, and that it covers two industries, wine and spirits. And, you know, those are very, even though they're sold by the same wholesalers, usually um, they're extremely different industries that, I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it'd be like covering, uh, I don't know, cars and bicycles, you know? mm, right. so, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's the, the, but beer biz daily is the one I've originally started uh, 20 plus years ago. And nice. uh, that, that was our, that's our horse.
0: So take us through that evolution. You started it twenty years ago. Um, I'm just curious to hear just maybe maybe a little bit of background in your story in terms of how you came up with the idea that aha moment, as you've described uh, in your book. Thank you for drinking. So yeah. that from that aha moment to actually creating beer business daily, and then you know the evolution of the publications. Maybe just take us take us on a journey back through the past.
1: Yeah. Okay. I I was worked like you. I was working for a beer distributorship, a large one in Houston and worked my way through the sales department and then got into, uh, research in there when this was the late nineties, mid to late nineties when, uh, PCs and Excel and word and windows were starting to get popular. And I was kind of the only guy in the building that, that was proficient at it. So I moved over to that for a few years. And then, um, the owner of the company, Joe Huggins, uh, you know, he says, you're a pretty good writer. And, uh, you know, I, and I don't know if he's trying to get me out of the building or, or what, but he's like, why don't you go to Austin for a couple of weeks and, uh, where the state and lurk around the halls of the state Capitol. Cause we're, we've got two bills that we're pushing through that are beer friendly and we just want you to track how they're doing. You know, this is before the internet. So, you know, the only way to kind of attract a bill was to go there right and be on premise and, so at the end of each day, I'd go to this bar called the Cloakroom, right on the Capitol Grounds, and uh, I'd write up uh, what what the day's happenings of, about the bills, and then I would fax it to to Houston Distributing, and then Houston Distributing would fax it to all the other hundred beer wholesalers or whatever there were at that time in the state. And I really enjoyed it, and I and I thought, you know, I can do this, and. I, I've always been a, a, a writer. I've always enjoyed writing. and So uh, uh, I took a year or so off and then started having children. And then um, I did, really didn't know what I was going to do. But there was right in the time when when email was, was starting to get popular. Not real popular, especially amongst beer people, because we were always a little slow mm-hmm. with technology. But I thought, you know, I bet I could do it daily like I did with, that, with those bills. And, um, you know, just kind of uh, aggregate news off the Internet and just put it into a daily and charge for it. And, uh, you know, we forget nowadays, but at the time, that was pretty revolutionary. Nobody was publishing daily, you know, except for daily newspapers. Like the only thing you could really compare it to from a business standpoint would be the Wall Street Journal. So, you know, most trade publications certainly were only coming out weekly or even every other week. And so, you know, my dad thought it was a horrible. A lot of people thought it was a horrible idea because first of all, I'd be tied to a computer and an internet connection every day. All the I'd have to. Like traveling was hard. Remember, this is dial up. This is all we had for the first several years. And the other problem I had is that most distributor principals at the time didn't have email, you know? <laughs> They didn't know what email was. And, you know, there was always somebody at their company that had an email account, you know, whether it be their assistant or somebody else at the company. But so, you know, it was just hard to sell. I mean, we we lived off beans and rice for the first five years. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I had uh, help from, from my family and which, you know, beware help from your family, Carrie. Just, to, you know, they they want the money back. Maybe not maybe not there's all the money, but they want it back in flesh. Okay. Right. So I, I think I'd rather go uh, to a loan shark, but anyway, um, it was really, but yeah, I'm making it kind of longer. It needs to be, but it was just beer business daily for the first 10 years. And, and uh, really in year five is when I started getting scale where I could make a living and start paying my mother back and, and things of that, you know, own a house and raise a family. And, uh, you know, it just kind of took off from there. And then we added wine and spirits daily, and then we added craft business daily. And then, and then somewhere in there, we added our uh, annual beer summit, which is our annual conference in January. And so really just four revenue streams, three newsletters and the conference. And so it's pretty simple business. And we have, uh, I don't know, like seven employees now. And, um, And so, yeah, it's been a really, really great career. It's uh, I couldn't ask for anything better. I've enjoyed almost every minute of it. And the only thing that's weird now is that I don't travel. I I was, you know, my bread and butter. I was the traveler in the company. Um, You know, Jen and Jordan uh, travel sometimes, but I was the one on the plane every week. But, you know, and a lot of that is just because my kids are grown up and it doesn't matter. So, uh going from traveling almost every week to zero zero travel has uh, been a big change but mm-hmm. you know it's kind of a nice break anyway
0: yeah no doubt i mean every everyone's adapting in in different ways and i suppose you take something that was felt like it was maybe taken away from you and try to spin it into a positive or right or at least make, yeah. make make the best of it you can
1: well i'll tell you one thing it's done is this dog won't leave my side she's become so attached that i literally can't I can't go to the bathroom without her whining about it, you know? So, I mean, she'll, she'll, you'll, you'll hear her in a minute. She'll come up and go, woo, 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 you know, she's an old lab. So anyway, but it's that's awesome. all right.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Well, thank you for that background. I'm I'm curious though, do you have like of those publications, do you have a personal favorite there? Um, and you can define the favorite any way you like in terms of readership or just the most fun to publish of those of those publications? Uh, yeah. I mean,
1: uh, my employees might get pissed, but I beer business daily is my baby. Okay. Yeah. It's the first, it's the largest. Uh, it's the one that I spend personally the most time on. Uh, you know, so if you're reading beer business daily, there's stuff in there that I've written, you know, it's so I'm very hands on with that particular publication. Uh, you know, the other two, I, I help edit as well but I'm not nearly as engaged, uh, as in, in writing beer biz daily is, uh, is my, uh, e- you know, even if I didn't have to, I'd still do it because I like to do it and uh, I like to put my imprint on it. So yeah, I, I, beer biz daily is, is, is my favorite. And, uh, I, I love the wine and spirits world because it's so different than beer, which is where I grew up. And so, so it's been really fun learning and getting to know people. And you know, and that industry is very different, Carrie. It's it's not as uh, how we say um, friendly. <laughs> you know, you know, beer guys are pretty laid back, pretty friendly. You go to a wine spirits company, every single person will be in a suit and tie, and uh, that's very much formal. You don't you don't drop f bombs on stage. I've learned that the hard way. Um, so yeah, it's very different, but it's also cool. So you know, it's been a it's been a fun ride.
0: No, that's awesome. You get a little variety there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Plus oh, I like I to drink wine spirits,
1: you know. So it's you oh, know it gives maybe. me an excuse to drink it in public without everybody jumping down my
0: back. Exactly. So what what beer industry information do you read or listen to? I mean, what are you consuming these days? Do you have any favorite podcasts or newsletters or anything that you subscribe to personally?
1: You know, I I, I subscribe to everything. So, you know, beer markers insights, brewbound, uh all all the free ones. Um, you know, I can't, I don't read the kind of consumer facing ones as much because it's, it's just, it's too much <laughs> it's, and it's not really my bailiwick anyway. I'm I'm not into tasting beer. I'm not into, you know, i uh, you know, I, I do love beer. I love to drink beer, but I'm not a beer nerd. Okay. Um And so I'm more in the business side. Um, but, uh, I, uh, it's hard, uh, it's hard for me to sit and listen to, to podcasts, but I, I do like, uh one by a software company called i sell beer he does uh i think a bi-weekly podcast it's pretty good and because he he focuses on distributors so there's very few that focus on on beer distributors and and just uh, yeah just a few other uh free stuff that that i every every day i scan
0: mm-hmm. cool thanks for that um so let's talk about lessons learned and best Sorry. practice hey no problem <laughs> it's the so, governor, but I'll I'll decline it. Isn't it the governor? Let's get get him on the
1: pipe. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, he's <laughs> trying to he's trying to get my uh, whether we should open the bars back up or not. So, so. <laughs> well, we'll have to let him wait. This yeah.
0: is more important. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. <laughs> so let's talk about you know you've you've talked to so many people in the beer business over the years, successful people. You know, what characteristics or traits, uh, if you could kind of boil it down. Do you see what strategies have have you found that maybe they have in common? You know, kind of what are their keys to success from your from your experience? Uh,
1: you know, I guess it sounds cliche, but I'm going to say communication is everything. You know, just being able to talk to your not not talk communicate. You know, really communicate with your employees, with distributors, with retailers. You know, any stakeholders you have. I think that's the biggest uh it's the biggest impediment because I think people are naturally shy, okay? I mean, I know that I was shy. Believe it or not, I was, you know, I was painfully shy when I started this business. And for me to go and just cold call somebody or or uh be invited to speak just even in front of 20 people was just mind numbing. But, you know, once I learned that and and kind of got the groove, it it really is second nature and I think one of the, you know, I, I I've even, uh, I've even talked about this with like big brewery executives. Um, one of the big things that they fail to do, if, if you're like, say you're coming in to run Heineken or something, you know, and you're from Amsterdam, the the biggest mistake they make is not being on a plane and, and just meeting as many distributors and retailers as you can, because this is very much a relationship business, as you know, and so if you're not, if you're not out there, I mean, right now, obviously it's hard, but you can do it through zoom and you actually, I think the communication's probably gotten better. It's easier. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're not one-on-one and talking and, and listening to the distributors, especially the distributors, I, I think, especially craft brewers, I think they discount that cause there's a little, always a little animosity between the two there, but boy, you can really learn from each other. And, and, uh, so, yeah uh, just the ability to communicate and have empathy with different parts of the industry and and you know you don't have to agree with their problems uh, but at least you can empathize with their problems and and uh you know understand each other and it's getting better i think i i mean it's it's a tough time right now for a lot of brewers uh with the pandemic so that creates angst but all in all, I think uh, relationships have been better. I've been doing this like like you said for for over twenty years, and it's uh, it was really caustic mm. for many of those years. And I think the last, uh, you know, there's still franchise laws and everything. I'm getting way off topic, but yeah, I think uh, I think relationships have been uh, a lot better now than they have been.
0: Well, I think I think that's worth digging into just a little bit because I would agree with you. I think that you know the relationship between the supplier, the brewery, say, and, and a distributor. Uh, you know, in our relation, in, when I was working for the wholesaler, uh, you know, I'd say it's probably 80-20 to the good, uh, but those 20 were really bad. Caustic's a good word for it. What What do you think, why do you think that's changed, if, if in fact it has changed, or in your experience, you know, what's maybe softened it up there? I think it's um,
1: that brewers have recognized that there is a business component. This all, this isn't just fun and games. It's not just about drinking beer all day. Cause I think that's a lot, a lot of people come into this business thinking that, and then, you know, those people have kind of been weeded out. I think, you know, these, the kind of the science experiment guys, but so there is a more, a little bit more professionalism, even with small, very small breweries and knowing that, you know uh, you know, you don't have to wear, you don't have to wear a coat tie or anything like that, but you, you know, you should have a plan to present to, to distributors and retailers say, Hey, this is where I want to do this, where I want to go. Can you help me? And I think there's a lot more of that going on. Whereas, uh, gosh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, it was, uh, you know, here's my beer. Why aren't you selling it? You know, it was, you know, they expected the distributor to kind of do all the heavy lifting and, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe distributors should do more. I think, you know, there is an expectation that there's, that they should do more. But at the same time, they just can't focus on that many SKUs. and so there's, you know, unless you're uh, unless you're top of mind, uh, you got to, like I said, you got to communicate with these guys to to get them behind your beer.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and that probably still exists. You know that I think I think it probably comes down to misunderstanding, which is probably a byproduct of of poor communication, mm-hmm. which is. You know what are the what are the primary roles and responsibilities of these stakeholders? You know what is what is the what are ob- rights and obligations of the brewery and the distributor? What do each need to do? You know so that uh, you can achieve your mutual goals, which is you both want to sell more beer. You know I think there's there probably is that mindset that the brewery is like, well the wholesaler doesn't you know I'm just a drop in the bucket to them, and it's like, well they wouldn't be carrying your brand if they didn't think they could sell it. So let's figure out let's communicate as to how we can have that plan so that you know, everybody can kind of get what they want. And
1: yeah. And, you know, and, uh, the other thing is is, is, is there's a part of it, that's generational, uh, I think distributors have become younger and that there's that. Cause, okay. Cause you know, most distributors started on the same day in 1933, right? This is a weird industry that it started, it all started on one day. And so we're, you know, we're getting to third and fourth generation and the the, the generation like above mine, you know, I'm 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 51, and so the generation above by did not get craft beer at all. Like they thought it was stupid. They thought it was a bunch of hippies smoking dope. It's not a real business. It's just it's a distraction because they were raised on Bud Miller Coors Schlitz. You know, these mass produced beers, and they it had made them a lot of money. So why are we putting – So the generation, my generation and below, I think it's the ones that kind of recognize that this is a real business. We need to you know we need to engage with it. Yes, a lot of them are hippies and they were, they spoke dope and, you know, but so what? So do we, mm-hmm. so, you know, there's just a cultural similarity that came together, you know, in the, in the last, uh, last decades or so few decades. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, that's interesting. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, that way that it's all started and yeah, I'm definitely seeing that next generation wholesaler. So maybe that's, that's bridging the gap as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's shift gears here and talk about, as Monty Python would say, now for something completely different. Let's talk about the pandemic. Uh, So we're recording this in October of 2020, and I'm curious to hear, and I'm sure listeners are curious to hear, what do you see as the near-term and long-term implications of this crisis for the beer industry and for wholesalers, for breweries in particular? Uh.
1: Well, a couple of things. You know, the the most obvious one being that on premise got immediately just hammered, and I don't think that on premise will come back uh, nearly as strong. And if it does, it'd be a, it'll take many years. And let's face it, on premise was hurting as a segment before the pandemic. If you want to be honest with yourselves, I mean, maybe not certain areas of the country, but if you look nationally, there were just too many accounts selling too many taps, especially. And so this kind of weeded out. It's kind of sad to say and cruel to say, but it weeded out some of the weaker links. And I also don't think that we're going to get to the level of taps uh, that, we're, that we had pre-pandemic. And if we do, it's going to take a while because you know, let's face it, everybody got everybody got hammered with the with all that uh, all those kegs out there. It was a, it was a huge problem for a while. And so I think the on-premise accounts that have survived are wary about you know putting. 30 taps back on, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's cut that down a little bit and get the more of the fast movers and the more consistent movers. So, you know, it, it, is that good or bad for craft beer? It kind of depends who you are in that spectrum. Right. And the same goes for, for off premise. I mean, uh, the, the chains especially were not keen on having, uh, that many skews and and some would say that, uh, the industry was overskewed. um, than the off premise before this happened and chains have woken up to realize we need to give more space to fewer SKUs, And that also hurts depending on where you are in the, in the craft beer world. Uh, if you're on the smaller scale that you, you, might, you might lose something on the other hand, it also hurts the biggest of the big. So, I mean, do you really need 25 skews of Bud Light in the, in the set? And uh, the answer is no. OK, so okay. this isn't a pop quiz. This isn't a trick question. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, on both ends of the spectrum, really, we, there's a there's kind of an awakening saying, let's slim down. Uh, let's focus on larger packs and cans. And that's where the consumer has led us. And it's been an acceleration. Now, will it go back to to four packs and bottle? Yeah, in some ways it will. But I don't think it'll go completely back. I think people have gotten very used to 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 buying in bulk and buying cans and part and parcel of that is that, you know, nobody can find any cans right now. It's, 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 uh, it's not, it hasn't gotten any better we're hoping it gets better from here on out since, uh, once cold weather hits, people will drink less and we can play catch up. But, uh, the product shortages is something that, that I didn't anticipate at at this level. I mean, there's distributorships out there that don't have a, a single, like a single twelve pack of Coors Light cans, like that's just unheard of. Not, not a single twelve pack or a single case. And uh, and Modelo uh, uh, Constellation has really gotten hit because their brewery closed for three months and they have a can shortage. They're still struggling to keep up. And Molson Coors as well, and and Mark Anthony with the with the with the seltzers. and then also, you know, AB had a, AB kind of caught a break and. The reason is because they're such they're so big in Mexico, and so when Mexico shut down, uh, they moved all their cans up to the United States. So they didn't have quite the can shortage that everybody else had. I, mean, I say they lucked out. They still didn't sell any beer in Mexico, so as a whole company, it sucked for them. But was, I'm just talking about the United States. I don't care about all those other countries. So, uh, so yeah, and I, I I think you know you ask long term, um, I think we will have fewer in person meetings. I think that's a blessing on both sides. I think we were over meeting uh, as an industry and too many face to face in person meetings um, that uh, really didn't uh, really didn't solve anything. It didn't sell more beer. Um, I think forcing people to go electronic and I, 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 there's, you know, in person meetings are still extremely important, but just not as many, man. It was getting too many. And, and the, the you know the wholesaler conferences that the suppliers put on i think having them go online is has been good because more people at the distributorship can sit and watch it you know and i've, I've seen you know pictures o- online where the you know they put up a big screen and put a bunch of chairs in the warehouse or in the sales room you know where everybody could come in and watch you know watch jim cook uh talk about what boston beer is going to do next year and So I think that's kind of cool. So those are some positive, you know, results that have come out of this. Um, And I think the industry—it's been tough for a lot of people, but I think, honestly, uh, in the long term, this industry will come out stronger.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There'll there'll be, you know, maybe fewer players, but stronger players, and uh, on on all three tiers. And I also think that um, uh, it was crucial that the beer wine experience industries were uh, considered to be, uh, what am I trying to say? You know, essential, essential. Thank you. My mind's going to to crap, but yeah. I mean, imagine if we weren't essential, we would, none of us would be working right now. I mean, Mm. if we went the way of Mexico, you know, for instance, or South Africa. So yeah, I think we came through it. Yeah. It's not, hadn't been great, but I think we're going to come out of this thing stronger
0: for sure what are you related to that like, what are you hearing from people any specific like needs or like specifically how they're handling the situation you know how are they adapting or changing so that they can run business today you know in this this new normal
1: yeah i um you know the, the new normal right now has been t- retraining on promise people to to work in the off-premise and as you know that's that there's a little cultural divide between on premise people and off-premise people and uh and what you know at the distributor level and so retraining retreading those guys uh because even though on-premise is coming back in many parts of the country it's not coming back uh at that level that you need all those people so uh that's that's been one one big change um and you know and right sizing the draft peer department is another change I'm seeing at distributor level and um and just uh you know really trying to take care of each other, you know especially these accounts that are uh, these indie independent accounts that are just really struggling uh, off and on premise um you know uh going that extra mile to get the make sure the beer is there and i i s you know I've seen uh, you know I follow some uh, uh instagram and and tiktok uh like beer wholesaler salesman account and it's all you know it's like they're just hot-shotting constantly like i mean, it's just you know it doesn't not it doesn't have to be a friday afternoon their hot shots are going out a lot and just because there's just been weird product shortages and product changes and, and and changes in volume at different accounts and so there's just been a lot of out of stocks And so we see a lot of a lot of full vans out there they're low riding
0: you know hmm. Absolutely. You you mentioned right sizing. I may have misheard this, but you, one of these things was right sizing the beer department. Is that what? Uh, uh, no, the draft department. Oh, the draft department. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Given that you know some wholesalers are out there cleaning draft lines, servicing draft lines, maybe installing things of that nature, and obviously that's completely changed. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess shifting personnel. As you said, you know, used to be an on-premise salesperson. Now we're going to train you to be off-premise and so forth. So re- reallocating. Resources and so forth.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you know a lot of these on-premise guys, they're they they would they wouldn't know a display if they tripped over one, right? And so they're like, wait, we have to do all this manual labor. You know, this sucks. So there's a little bit of yeah, a little bit of shell shock going on out there, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about products. We you know we dug in a little bit on the SKUs and that whole concept of SKU proliferation and portfolios expanding um as you've noted you know recently uh, you call this the era of effervescence is that a yeah, yeah. so yeah. seltzers what what is your take on seltzers in particular these these are here to stay this is it's a, this is a spike no pun intended but are we uh we gonna see these around for a while uh yeah i think so i, I think it's
1: uh it's definitely proved itself to be to uh, be a category with legs and with stamina uh, it, even with product shortages, uh, it's, continues to accelerate even with, uh, cold weather arriving, it continues to accelerate. So it's not the super seasonal product that we once thought it was. It's about the same seasonality as regular beer. Um, and you know, when you, when you have a category going at 200% on an ever increasing base, uh and just taking share like crazy it it, i don't see i don't see it slowing down in other words and um it's become uh uh, it's the fastest growing category i've ever seen in my lifetime and i think uh if you look at if you talk to folks that are a little older than i was that even the light beer explosion in the late 70s and early 80s you know it still took 10 years you know it, it took five years to get to where the point seltzer is now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's growing much faster than any other category. And, you know, I think it's, it, it's weird because I, consumers, I don't think, they don't think it's beer, right? I mean, they think it's a vodka soda. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, so my argument was, yeah, you know, we're taking occasions from wine of spirits. That's a good thing. Right. And then I talked to, some top spirits executives and they think the opposite, you know, they they think, Oh, you're just, you're creating new spirits drinkers. We're laughing our way to the bank. You know, And these, these, you know, these white claw drinkers are going to move to to Tito's and Smirnoff. They're going to go back to beer. And I was like, well, you might have a point, but still uh, if you're a beer wholesaler, it's still a, still a pretty nice little segment to have to take to the bank and, you know, I, if we didn't have seltzers, I think beer would be hurting right now. And, and I think it's purely, uh, uh, you know, Lester Jones at the MBWA said this about five years ago. He goes, you know, millennials are going to start getting fat and they are going to get to an age where you can't drink a 300 calorie bomb and over and over and session. It. And, and it came true. And, it, you know, we started seeing it before, even before seltzers with craft beers, uh, going lighter and lighter and both in alcohol and, and thereby calories and, and then uh, you know, going to session beers. And so we started seeing that, but then, you know, you get a hundred calorie beer that has that tastes like a vodka soda. It's light. It's not as heavy. It kind of fell right into the, what the, what the society was doing in all other products as well. So, it started as a bad, Now it's a trend. And I think it'll continue at least into the foreseeable future. And uh, I don't think it's a bad thing for beer and, and even craft uh, craft players can, can dabble in it as well and, and, and profit from it. Uh, but you know, it keeps, keeps, it keeps people in our system. So I think that's good. I think we will see the, the spirits companies have woken up obviously and they're as we speak, starting to come up with their own spirit-based uh, seltzers. So we'll start to see that enter the marketplace. And we already have with Gallo's High Noon and and Bacardi's just about to launch one. And the benefit those guys have is that they don't have to pay a bunch of money for brand recognition because the brands, everybody knows the brands already. So you can say, oh, a Bacardi seltzer. I know exactly what that is. You don't have to train people what that is. And so, uh, so there you have it.
0: Regarding uh, craft, you know, smaller crafts getting into seltzers, uh, you had mentioned like maybe dabbling in it. Do you think that it could be dabbling or do you think it could be uh, a major, you know, diversification point for them? uh, Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe dabbling is the wrong word. No, I think it is. You know, first of all, they're hard to make. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, buyer beware. I mean, it's it's hard to mask any off flavors with, with such a light base, right? The malt base has to be really clean. And and so, it, they are hard to make. But for those who can make a good one, I think definitely there's there's room for higher priced premium. I mean, it's, people are still trading up. They're still looking for that unique brand, especially if it's local. Um, Want to support local businesses is a huge thing. So, you know, White Claw is kind of, uh, you know, backed themselves and to, some, and to some extent, truly, uh, is kind of a frat Boy, drink. You know, it's kind of a uh, a college. You know, uh, you know a Bud Light or a Bush Light type drink. Whereas, so I think there's definite room for people who want to look a little more sophisticated, and you know, drink a craft, uh, but they don't want to. You know, that because you don't want to because it does have a bad connotation amongst craft nerds. You know, drinking a seltzer, right? I mean, it's just. But if it's a craft seltzer, it does give you a little bit of street credit if you if you like it, and I think a lot of people do like that kind of beer. I do. I mean, I I like listen. I like IPAs. I like hazy IPAs. I I love wit beers. I love I I love, but I love I love seltzer too. So you know, I think there's room for everybody.
0: Absolutely, and I th- I think picking up on that thread, you know, in my past life as CFO for a beer distributor, we had. Uh, a lot of non-alcoholic beverages Energy drinks, teas, functional beverages I think innovation Was like a, a daily occurrence For, for non-alcohol uh, And I think it still is uh, Do you see a similar type of innovation Coming for beer Or or even the, the alcohol space I mean we t- obviously just ch- touched on Seltzers but you know, Do you see maybe functional beer Beer with, vi- you know What's maybe the next big thing There in the beer space Yeah
1: I definitely think um everybody is everybody's scrambling to innovate at a much faster pace. And you know, it is a little harder to innovate with alcohol than non alc because non alc you can test a bunch of shit very quickly, fi- figure out what works, I and mean, then boom, you make it. Beer, you gotta ferment it. You gotta, you know, it takes a long time and it's expensive. And then if it t- doesn't turn out, you gotta drain pour it. So it it is a little harder. But Having said that, yes, I definitely think uh, there's a lot of experimentation going on in beverage alcohol, and you can just see it—just what's coming out of uh, AB and Molson Coors and Constellation, and and all of them just in the last six months. And there's a lot of blurring of the lines, and they're coming out with a lot of non-alcoholic drinks, and Molson Coors is coming out with a spirit-based drink. So there's blurring of the lines between all three, and I think that's going to continue. I think COVID has accelerated it, and Everybody wants to be in everybody else's chili right now. Yeah, you know, the grass is always greener, right? And so uh, a lot of a uh, lot of crossover going on and I I think uh, you know it's probably a healthy thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I mean when it, if you told me if you told me 5 years ago that Coca-Cola was going to come out with an alcohol drink in the United States I would have thought you were crazy. They've always been so conservative. They do not want to be associated with beverage alcohol at all. And that the fact that they're going to come out with uh you know topo chico seltzer in 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 partnership with molson coors i think is a it's that's a huge sign to me that everybody is getting into everybody else's then we'll see a lot more partnerships that way because you know it's uh you you know beer companies you know molson coors is all it's all partnerships right now coming out of them with yingling and coke and la libations and I don't know. There's like three others that I forget off the top of my head. So
0: a lot more of that going on. What's your sense on non-alcoholic beer? It's obviously pretty big over overseas, and not not so big here in the states. What do you do? You see a trend changing I, on that? I, I definitely do. I, I you, you took the words
1: right out of my mouth. I, I was just thinking of that. Um, it's still small uh, as an overall percentage. It's about a half a percent of all beer. But it's up forty percent this year. Um, when you see Heineken 0.0, you see Bud zero. So you see big brands coming up with non alk I think that way raises awareness. But I think really the action is is with with craft brewers coming out with their non-alcoholic versions, with you know Athletic and and others and, and Boston beers coming out uh, uh, with one. I, and you know I think everybody's kind of it, you know what's you know what's great about it. You don't pay taxes on it, you know so uh you know the margins are even better, and uh, so I don't think there's any reason why we don't see more of a boon uh I don't care for it uh ethanol's important to to my drinking uh, behaviors but uh but yeah uh I think uh, uh I think people uh with uh, the sober curious movement uh, yeah I, I mean I think it'll get to a point next year that I think it could double in other words
0: mm-hmm yeah well it's it's definitely you know we think about uh skew proliferation and trying to avoid that, but maybe pivoting towards diversification right having different uh revenue streams so if you're beer and then maybe you're getting into seltzer and then maybe you have a non alk offering and you can segment it down niche it down even to the gluten free beers and et cetera et cetera it certainly seems like uh that is a thing, and you know given you know, the crisis we have right now and folks are trying to uh, find different revenue streams. This, this could be an interesting way to, to do that.
1: Yeah. And I, I think uh, investigating the online channel e-commerce so that you can test some of these brands without having to have shelf space, for instance, mm-hmm. I, you know, in, in a lot of places that's illegal, but I know that AB is being he- heavily investing in an in e-commerce platform. Uh, definitely for their non-ALCs, and then in some cases for their ALCs. They do it in Europe, certainly. Um, Here it's more of a patchwork, but they're definitely investigating that. You know, it's a great way to test to see what consumers are gravitating to.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Let's shift and talk a bit about industry consolidation. You know, this has kind of always been a thing, right? One wholesaler buying another, generally in contiguous territories, trying to get those those synergies, uh, market share, things of that nature. So, consolidation. You know, it. What's your sense on what's what's the key driving factor behind consolidation in the in the wholesaler tier? Um, you know, it's getting uh,
1: increasingly hard and more complex uh, to be a beer wholesaler these days. Um, you have to, you know, yeah, you, you know, it's not like the old days where you can just kind of wing it. (laughs) You have to have a level of sophistication. You have to have a a great uh, computer system. You have to know how to use it. You have to have people that know how to, uh, uh, you know, just, just just an example Um, just ordering and forecasting. I mean, think of how much more complex that is today uh, than it was just a few years ago, excuse proliferate. So, you know, if you don't have a level of people, that can do all of this, that higher level sophistication, it's, it's harder to survive. And if you're a kind of a small couple million case wholesaler, you're not, it's hard to attract people because they, they can only go up so far. Right. right. But and so if you're a part of a much larger organization, then you have, you can attract more pe- better people that could have more of a room to grow with the company. And so I think that's, you know, just the talent uh, drain is a big part of, of consolidation. And, and the other thing is, uh, is the prices, uh, the, the, the multiples that these guys are getting for their businesses is continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. And part of that is because margins are better as people, uh, trade up. Part of that is because there's no other place to put money, you know, uh, what are you going to do? Invest in the stock market? I mean, at some point, you know, beer is beer distributor is a very safe place to put to put equity. So that's that's another reason prices have have continued to go up. There's a lot of money chasing very few opportunities. And then, uh, and then the third thing is that uh, you've got Reyes out there. You know, and they have, they're so big, and not just in beer. They're big in McDonald's. They've got the Coke bottlers. They're they're just a billion billion dollar company. And so they can afford to overpay. If they want, if they want this a distributorship, they they don't have to abide by these banking multiples that uh, smaller players have to abide by because they they have the cash flow and they can they can finance a lot of this out of cash flow rather than having to uh, uh, adhere to a, a bank ratio that's. That's you know being put out by Citigroup or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think those are those are the driving and, and then also like I said generational. Um, that that kind of fourth generation, a lot of them are, are my age or older, and you know it's time to retire. And that if you if you have kids, they may not be interested in, in becoming merchandisers, or starting at the bottom and you know working your way up. The things you kind of have to do, and it's let's face it, it's a it's a tough business. And a lot of kids these days are like. Oh, dad, I want to be an artist. You know, well, why don't you become rich? And then I can like become an artist, you know, or something like that. I'm, I'm going to be a musician. So, yeah, I think, I mean, none of my sons are interested in working in the beer industry. You know, they're, you know, one does real estate. One is an artist mm-hmm. and one's in college and, you know, he merchandised for a summer and he said to hell with that, you know? <laughs> so, you know, uh,
0: so yeah, there's different reasons. Yeah. It can be. It's a tough business, no doubt about it. I mean, getting up early, getting on the trucks and, you know, rain, sleet or snow, you know, you got to, that beer's got to go out or people get upset. Um, I did want to ask you though, so with all that consolidation, uh, I guess like in any industry where you have a consolidation, it opens up opportunities within the market for other players to to jump in. Maybe they're niche players, uh, you know, craft only, non-elk only, or some hybrid models, hyper-local. Are you seeing any trends or hearing about any trends relative to that in terms of, is that, is that actually happening? Um, or would you foresee something like that occurring and, and what might that mean for the, uh, the, 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 the uh, wholesaler tier in general?
1: Yeah, I, I think we saw a lot of that, honestly, like over the last five years, but it slowed down. So, you know, there's two things. One is you saw a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, whether they be brewers who self-distribute or they they come up with a uh, just a craft-only distribution company, right? And those those are those really proliferated in, in places where that's legal. And then the second part is you had established big wholesalers coming up with craft-only divisions outside of their Budweiser territory or their Molson Coors territory. So you know you had all these distributors kind of doing a wild west land grab, just you know like let's just take Texas, for instance, you've got, you've got Benny Keith out of Dallas, they have a statewide craft organization, you've got LNF out of McAllen, they have a statewide craft organization. So you've had you got competing AB wholesalers with statewide craft distributorships. And I think what you're going to see is, at some point, uh, and as you've seen it already happen in, in a little bit is that Uh, They realize that these statewide craft organizations aren't exactly setting the world on fire as far as profitability, because as you know, it's not how many cases you sell, it's how much margin you make per account per week. And so uh, if you want to get any kind of depth into a market, um, you know, making C stores, for instance, or in smaller accounts... You got to have the case volume, and I think a lot of these people are realizing that's that's easier said than done. So I'm, what I'm actually seeing is more consolidation amongst those guys. Mm. Um, you saw it, in, you know, just recently, you know, in Chicago with Windy City. You know, Ray has bought Windy City and then kept it separate, and then now this year they just rolled it right into their uh, Chicago Beverage Systems.
0: Mm-hmm. So if you were to look into your crystal ball. And what do you think the three-tier system is going to look like down the road? Let's just say five years, 10 years. I mean, obviously there's, through this pandemic, there's been loosening of regulations, not everywhere, but in, in some places. Um, are those here to stay? Are they going to change back? So what, what if any major changes do you see that might be coming down the pike uh, relative to the, th- the three-tier system?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think the loosening of the state laws is probably irreversible. I don't think he put toothpaste back in the tube. I, I think, you know, the people got what they wanted and it turns out it wasn't, you know, it didn't didn't turn out, you know, people uh, you know, just chuggling booze on the gutter uh, you know, instead of going to church. So, you know, it was a pan, it was a pandemonium during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think those loosening laws will stay. I think we will continue to see a loosening of the three-tier system. Uh, And I think that comes from both sides. I think it comes from super large retailers like Amazon and Walmart. And it comes from smaller brewers who want better access to market. And they want the ability to self-distribute, for instance. And And then the other part of that is franchise law. So I think we will continue to see a loosening of Franchise law so that small brewers, if they want to get out of a relationship, they they have an avenue to do that without breaking the bank. So, I think that's just going to continue. I I, I don't um, as as much as some distributors will will bitch and moan and 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 this seems kind of inevitable to me. Uh, however, it will be slower than people want it to be. So, you know, you said next five years, it might be longer than that. I, I think everything moves slower. And, and perhaps the pandemic is, is speeding that up. We've certainly seen a lot more e-commerce activity with people like, uh, you know, Drizzly and Instacart and home delivery is a huge thing. So th- those those changes don't really technically have to change anything about the three tier system. But I think in the long run, um, you'll just see different modes of distribution and and there'll be a hybrid system, you know, one that goes through accounts one that goes directly to consumer. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think the, you know, the laws are gonna have to catch up to that reality.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in addition to the publications that you put out, uh, you do live events as well, or at least, you know, pre pandemic they were Uh, maybe tell the listeners a little bit about those events, you know, the beer industry summit, the distributor productivity summit, you know, what's the format type of information who should consider attending and then i guess as a tag on are are you going to continue with these in a virtual format or is that sort of tbd at this point
1: yeah so we we have we have well we have basically two conferences so there're really three conferences okay so there's the beer industry summit which is our landmark conference and our oldest then we have the Wine and Spirit Summit that's the very next day. and So I kind of consider those one big conference because most people go to both. You, can, you don't have to go to both, so it's cheaper to go to one or the other, but you get a discount if you go to both. So it's become – it used to be at separate times of the year. So it was d- distinct two conferences, and I put them together three or four years ago, and it works better that way. People Less travel, bigger conference, and uh, that's in usually in mid – january usually like kind of like the weekend before the super bowl is the one we try to hit it's it's you know sunday to tuesday Mm -hmm. okay so we have that uh, every year um and then we have the distributor productivity summit which is in the summer and that's a much smaller event it's just just for distributors and it's just to come and hear best practices and uh we usually just do it here in san antonio so it's not really a uh the the other event is a destination event. that's either in California or in Florida. It's in the winter. It's on a beach. It's in a really nice resort. People play golf. They're you know they're coming for a little mini vacation, right? And to get out of the cold, we say uh, get out of the snow and get into the know. That's our that's our uh, little trademark there. So, and then the, the productivity summit's more for GMs. And we did we punted on that one completely this year uh, because of uh, the pandemic. So, you know, so we're, we're at this moment planning our January 16th, uh, beer, wine and spirits summits right now. It's, uh, we're planning for a hybrid virtual, uh, and, in attendance model. So, uh, if you feel safe by then to come to San Diego, uh, we, you know, you can, um, Some of our speakers want to come and speak Uh, some will will be piped in virtually. So it's going to be a hybrid uh, kind of hybrid event and everybody will be spaced out. And, and then our receptions will be on the beach, you know, and outdoors with a lot of space. So, you know, if if California clamps back up, then it will be a hundred percent virtual. If not, I know a lot of people are eager to get out of their offices and it might be a good time uh, if we can get the handle on this thing, maybe a vaccine or something. So I'm kind of just plowing forward and hoping I don't lose my ass, honestly. so <laughs> you know, I'm hoping for to break even, you know? And so that's what we're doing. we actually have a meeting uh, uh, this afternoon to kind of make a. that we're either going to go forward or pull the plug. And uh, since I own the company, I'm pushing to go forward. So I'm have a feeling that's what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, Harry, this has been awesome. It's been a real treat for me. Uh, to talk with you and get your feedback on these things. And I, I think there's a lot here for our listeners to really dig in on. Uh, so before we wrap, um, well, let me ask you this. I know, I know you've got a lot on your plate with the publications, but any new projects, anything you're working on these days that might be coming down the pike, anything that's, you know, got you excited these days that you working? You know, on? we, we tossed
1: around a, uh, a cannabis publication. And we put out some prototypes and, and, uh, and it, it just proved too chaotic and it's just, it's so chaotic that it's not even fun. There's no cohesiveness in that business. In other words, it's not, a, it's not a real community like, like the beer and wine spirits. It's it, at least not yet. And so we punted on that. We'll let others uh, do that. They can do it better. And no, you know, uh, my interest right now is is growing. There's still some room for growth, particularly on the wine and spirit side, and just just growing what we have. And I think I think a lot of small companies sometimes they bite off more than they can chew. And we have a really good staff right now. Everybody is plugged in. I've never been more comfortable. And I feel like if we created something new, it would just disrupt it and then everybody'd be fighting. So I'm just I'm just I'm gonna lay low. You know, I, I got one kid, I got one le- kid that left in college. Once he's out, you know, I'll maybe have more money and time to do something.
0: There you go. That, that sounds like a very prudent approach. Well, awesome. Hey, if folks want to learn more about your publications or, or get in touch with you, what's, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, it's fax. My fax number. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't even think we have a fax number anymore. But, uh, but no, it's uh, beernet.com. That's uh, has all the all three publications, all summits, D W E R N E T. and
0: uh, that's where you go. Cool, so, yeah. So, so if if and, and I'd be surprised if there's uh, too many people that aren't already familiar with your publications or, or aren't already subscribers. But if you're out there and listening to it, I definitely encourage you to check it out. Go to the website. Uh, there, there's little sample snippets of. Uh, you know recent articles and past articles, so you can kind of get a sense as to what what material is covered. Uh, you know it's it's must reading for for just about anybody in the in the beer industry. So again, thanks so much for the time, and you know I learned a lot, and I know listeners will will take a lot away from this. So thanks very much.
1: Thank you, Carrie. I enjoyed it. I appreciate the
0: time. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.